It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. Welcome to this episode of Kennedy Saves the World. And we're going to take a circuitous path to saving the world. And we're actually going to spend a little time in prison because sometimes you have to live a life of excess and restitution in order to come to realizations about how your gifts and what you do right can actually make the world a better place. Um, I have had the privilege in the past of interviewing Jordan Belfort, who is a fascinating person and arguably a really smart person who got ahead of his skis, which might be a bit of an understatement. Um, he wrote the book Wolf of Wall Street after his personal experiences on Wall Street and um, little issue with some penny stocks and uh, was hunted and essentially captured by the FBI, uh, did 22 months in prison for his financial crimes. But has emerged on the other side with some very valuable lessons about what he's gone through, mistakes that he's made. And uh, he has just published his fourth book, The Wolf of Investing. Jordan Belfort, welcome to Kennedy Saves the World. Thanks. Good to be here. Um, so I rewatched Wolf of Wall Street. I, I flew back this weekend from South Africa, so I had a lot of time. And uh, it's very funny, as an aside, I love like the first third of Martin Scorsese movies because you know, everything is going great and excess is so much fun <laughs> and then everything falls apart. So, mm. you know, you've been asked about the movie a million times. I, I'm sure people have admonished you for what you did wrong. But what I want to know from a psychological perspective, when you look back at that, what did you do right? What did you figure out that no one else had figured out that you've internalized and taken with you since? I think, you know, um, by the way, you're right about that. Like I've watched the first half of the movie like a lot of times. And I said, <laughs> the first half is a lot of fun. And then it starts to go like heavily downhill. Right. But, oh, yeah. Um, you know, what for me, I think, you know, there, there was certain um, gifts that I, I had naturally in terms of sales and the ability to motivate people and, um, and, and train salespeople. Right. And, 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 that's a, a very powerful skill. It's important for business. Um, and it allows you to live a very financially empowered life if, if you possess those skills. But the problem is, is that if they're not grounded, um, in ethics, integrity, in ethics and integrity, uh, it can very easily go into the dark side. And so for me, I, I, I what I did right was the ability to like motivate people and train them. I taught them a skill, which was the skill of persuasion. And closing, which is an incredibly valuable skill, which you need in all aspects of life. Without that, you're living a very disempowered life. So, um, so it, it allowed me to have this massive firm and I was very good with things like math and economics. So I, I had discovered this untapped niche in the market, which was selling five to $10 stocks. It wasn't actually penny stocks. It was five to $10 stocks to the richest 1%. And it could have been great and amazing and beautiful. But I, I was really the question I was asking myself every day was how do I make more money? How do I make more money? How do, versus how do I give more value? How do I find better companies to take public and so forth? So, so it ended up, and it's very easy on Wall Street as we see that, that things can go off, off the rails. Um, and 
over time, the, the firm and everything became almost a gross character of itself. It started off as all fun and games, and, and then it became this sort of darker thing fueled by drugs and greed. Um, and and Quaaludes. And you know, yeah, yeah. Well, that was my drug of choice, right? Thank God they're not around anymore. They were too good. Um, and uh, yeah, so, so for me, that, that journey of that rise and fall, and then subsequently, you know, you know, losing everything and then, you know, writing the book, The Wolf of Wall Street, it was almost like self-therapy. And I kind of mm. saw my own, you know, what, what I had done right and the things that drove me that made me do things wrong. And it, it made it, I wouldn't say easy, but it allowed me to, you know, when I went back into the world and took another stab at success, I had a very different perspective on what success meant and how I would achieve it. And that was that I was never going to engage in behaviors where I made money and people lost money. That's I used to say not, you know. So what was the thing that structurally changed you more? Was it regret, um, you know, from people losing their money who trusted you? Was it actually spending time in prison and the fear of going back and living a life like that? What had the greatest impact on you in terms of, of changing you deeply and for the better when you emerged from that? So I think that the first thing is that it, I didn't have to change it to something that I wasn't. I changed back into what I originally was. I was raised really well by a great family where no one ever got in trouble. And my, my mother's one of the greatest ladies she's still alive at 90. She's the oldest woman in New York State to pass the bar. My dad was very ethical growing up. So I never was raised with beliefs that you should make money while others are losing money. That was just, you know, it was sort of, I was like, sort of took a left turn in Albuquerque when I was like 24. And so when the whole thing ended, it was like, sort of like, like you, you get on this road, you're putting one foot in front of the other and it all seems, you become desensitized to the own things you're doing wrong. So it's almost Absolutely. Like well, especially when you're surrounded by that, you know, exactly. and, and it's it's really easy to look back considering where we've been through from, you know, 9-11 to the pandemic. That was before all of that. You know, that was that was before Black Monday. Uh, that was before the financial crisis of 2001 or 2008. And it was a very different time. But when you have everyone around you and the sole goal is, you know, the soulless pursuit of money. It's it's really hard to get back in touch with what you know is right. But that brings me to my next question. So my daughter is in college. She's she's a freshman mm-hmm. and she goes to one of the few colleges in the country that actually has a sales program. But it mm-hmm. seems to me like and she wants to study business, but it seems to me that is the most valuable skill. But they focus on finance and business administration and accounting and things like that. And you know, People spend so much more time selling than they do engaging in these other aspects of business that they come across in academia. So why don't we teach sales more in college? Well, it, it should be taught. By the way, it's, it's the single most important skill, bar none, to succeed in life. It's say sales, but you could also say communication, effective communication, the ability to get your point across to people in a way that you know it, it empowers them, moves them to take action and get you what you want as well. So if you don't possess that skill, you could have great business skills and all those ideas locked inside you. You don't know how to explain that value of what they of what they have, what it could do for someone else. So you, you're almost living a much smaller life or struggling. So I think you're right. Sales should be taught uh, as a basic course, even before. Yeah, I mean, college. I, I, I agree completely. They, they should teach it in high school, but it's it's almost like sales is the bastard child of 
of business. And and when you tell people you're in sales, you're basically saying like, I'm a Nazi pedophile. You know, it, it really is frowned upon, but so many people do it. And, and you're right. It, it's not necessarily when you're selling, like, sell me this pen. And, right. you know, you point it's, out it's, that it's, people have a really hard time with the basics. So I think that the, the, the distinction needs to be is that like I, there's, there's a, a false belief that sales is for salespeople. Mm-hmm. And the fact is everybody needs to be selling or let's just say communicating or persuading. You know, you let's imagine this. You have an idea. You have a thought. You have a belief, right? That, and you're, you're absolutely certain. That, that, that your belief or your, let's say the, the product that you have or your service makes sense to someone that's huge value and you know it. And it really does. It empirically does. But you aren't able to communicate that value to someone else. Like you think you, you sound great, but by the time you're done speaking, they're half asleep. They're not interested. They don't see the value proposition of what you have. So whatever X value and now in the per, in the prospect's minds is one tenth of X. You just can't get your point across. So, it, so it's it's really common for people where they have great ideas and a huge value to give to the world, but they don't know how to get that point across to people. And that's why it's such an integral skill. So, call, if it's you're right, because it's almost the redheaded stepchild for marketing, which is like mm-hmm. the classier thing, right? So it's like call then communication. You know, like straight line or just sales communication, right? But if you don't possess it, you're going to struggle in life. You will. Yeah. And, and I hope, I hope that's what my daughter studies. I mean, obviously like she has to make those choices. Don't go anywhere. More Kennedy saves the world right after this. Hey folks, it's your man, Keyshawn Johnson here to talk about Angie, formerly known as Angie's list, your go-to home services marketplace for getting all your jobs done. Well, now you might be wondering what exactly is Angie? Well, let me tell you, it's the nation's largest home services Marketplace, connecting over 150 million homeowners with skilled professionals to tackle any project, big or small. As a homeowner myself, I always have things I want to work on for my house, whether it's general home renovations or fun projects like putting in a pool. With over 200,000 pros in their network, Angie makes it a breeze to research, compare, and hire pros, ensuring every job is done well. Whether you're fixing a leaky faucet or planning a full kitchen renovation, Angie's got your back. And get this, folks. Angie's pros aren't just any old contractors. They're your neighbors, often running small businesses right in your community. Plus, they've been rated and reviewed by others in your area. So you know you're getting quality service. So why stress over home projects when you can turn to Angie? From finding the best price to scheduling a pro at your convenience, Angie's got you covered every step of the way. So get started today at Angie.com. That's Angie.com or download the app today to get started on getting all your jobs done. That's Angie, your trusted ally in home services. Do you think college is a waste of time? For many people, it is. I, I think that, you know, again, I think college has become a, 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 a bastardized version of what it once was. I think it, it's been in, in, infused with this crazy, woke, 
a leftist agenda, which is bizarre that I can't even believe it happened. When I was in college, it was not like that. It just was not like that. Now, um, I mean, it's almost radicalizing kids. And now listen, if, if your path, if your career path requires a degree, you want to be a doctor or a lawyer, certain things, right? Okay, fair enough. If you want to, like, my daughter's a psychologist and she went to M, she graduated from NYU, uh, nice. grad school and, and she did great. And, and for her, it was an integral part of her journey in her profession. But my son, who's in music and, and, and is more artistic, it made no sense for him to go to college. Why would he go to college and, and, and spend all this money and, you know, learn things that are just going to probably corrupt him in the sense of socially that just, I don't know, socially bankrupt the, the morals these days, it seems, in most colleges, not everyone, but most of them. Um, so I don't think college is, is, I don't think college by any means now is, is a, a, an assured path to wealth or, is the right path for many people. In fact, I think there's a lot of the big corporations now are, are removing the requirement of a college degree. I think Walmart did it. Many others are no longer requiring college degrees for many of their important management roles because they've seen that the people that are coming out of the colleges are ill-equipped to be in the workplace. They're better off in safe spaces than workspaces, right? I, yeah, I, I, I think you're absolutely right. I think there's a big disconnect between, you know, the the propaganda and the propagandizing that, that happens in colleges. And now it's going younger and younger. There's a great disconnect between that and the practical skills you actually no need in order to be successful. And colleges are very anti-capitalist and they're very anti-success because the people running them live in a bubble with a tenure jobs where they don't really, they don't have to try, they never have to fail, and they don't want to help people succeed. So I, I agree with you there, but also the problem is, you know, and, and getting back to this idea of communicating what you want to do, it's almost impossible now for people nowadays to start businesses because uh, mortgage rates are so high, it's so difficult to borrow money. We have so many regulations and so many barriers to entry. On top of that, you've got inflation, which isn't going anywhere. So if if you were the chair of the Fed, what would you do to tame inflation looking at the landscape we have now? I think that... One of the core issues here uh, of inflation was like all this free money. You have to go back a step. I think interest rates is like raising interest rates. I don't know. Like that's one tool in the toolbox here. But I think the most important thing was like, you know, this, we had this period of like giving away money to people for not going to work. And this is also an impact of the pandemic, the lockdowns. So I think there was a lot of mistakes made. I was really heavily publicly against the lockdowns. They even shut down my YouTube account for a while. I got suspended because I was saying this is insane. Like why, why are we locking down healthy people? And, and, and what it created is this whole like, this, like almost artificial, like false environment of like, where you could stay at home, don't go to work, you work from home and you'd be just as productive there. And all, and in reality, what happened is this. If you dump in lots of money, extra money, you print money, guess what? Our assets are going to go up. In that, it's going to give me real estate's going to fly up. The stock market's going to fly up. It's just, it's historic. It, it, you can go back in time. Whenever money is printed, those asset values will go flying up. There's too much money chasing the same amount of assets. So I think, you know, raising rates, well, it was a necessity because they, they screwed up so badly before that. But now I don't think necessarily high rates is this, is this, you know, forever is the solution. I think it's more about, you know, and it's starting to happen right now. This backlash: people have to get back in the office. You can't print free money. You can't forgive student loans. You can't. You have to like get back to fundamental, like you know, the, the basics of, of economics, which is you just can't print free money. You have to keep the money supply tight, not expand it, 
and you can't spend more than you have. You can't just, you have a massive deficit and it keeps growing. Was it 1.7 trillion added on this year or something like, so th- th- those are the issues. I think more than interest rates, I don't think just raising interest rates is going to make any major long-term accomplishments. I really don't. All right. So one of the interesting things that has uh, come about from the generation of people who are propagandized in schools and, you know, people who also want to take advantage of this loosey goosey monetary environment, um, they're they're con artists. But do you belong in the same category as people like Elizabeth Holmes and Sam Bankman Freed and I guess, you know, Anna Delvey and Billy McFarlane to some extent? And if not, what differentiates you from them? Because there there seems to be like this generational con artistry within them, but they don't really have a product. So what's the difference between someone when you were taking ad- advantage of what was at your disposal in the 80s and 90s and people who are violating the law and people cheer when they go to prison? What's sure. the difference? Well, the difference is my firm was real. In other words, I, I took real companies public. One of the things about the movie that's a bit misleading is they make it seem like maybe, you know, the companies weren't real or, um, you know, we're trying to find bad companies. That's completely not true. Every company that we took public was 100% real and we were praying that it worked. It's just really difficult to find good companies in what was really public venture capital. Most of the time you do VC, if you do 10 deals, Eight are going to, seven will go bankrupt, two will do okay, and one will work really big. We had a pretty good track record from that perspective, you know, with Steve Madden Shoes and a few other freaking massive companies. It wasn't the companies that were bad. That whole aspect was completely real. I just manipulated stocks. I engaged in, in things that are happening every day still at Goldman Sachs on down. All the big firms are doing what I did, you know, free riding, parking the issues. I didn't do anything that everyone else on Wall Street wasn't doing and still doing. That doesn't make it right. I'm not saying that justifies what I did, but it wasn't like I was running, you know, um, uh, uh, selling a non-existent blood pressure or a blood testing thing where Elizabeth Holmes was like lying to investors, like I have a straight product. So like this is a big I have a non-existent. I think Billy McFarlane, by the way, is, is a different example. I, be- I believe he started off thinking he was going to throw a really cool party. Mm-hmm. And then he, the mistake he made is instead of saying, oops, I fucked up. Sorry, everyone. He kept telling people what was going to happen to get more money. So like, yes. he's a, a, a d- different class than Elizabeth Holmes. She was like running a long-term scam knowing she's like saying, I'm having this blood test. which doesn't exist. And she's running it on a, a, re- a regular machine and losing money and telling people what's the greatest things in sliced bread. So you, you can't paint everyone that gets in trouble. Like what, what was Milk in a big scam? Well, he was engaged in insider trade. Doesn't mean he wasn't having massive value adding to the business world and stuff. So I think you can't, Painted with that sort of broad brush. What about Sam Bankman-Fried? How how is he different from you and some of the others? Because uh, you know, it's like to your credit, you enjoyed the wealth. Like if I had a billion dollars, I would <laughs> absolutely get a golden yacht. Why not? Right? Yes, yeah. I would have butlers so, no, and servers and and people uh, fanning me with palm fronds every moment of the day. Yeah. I would say Sam Bank- Bankman-Fried is more along the lines of a Bernie Madoff or an Elizabeth Holmes. Um, because, um, you know, while there was a real exchange there, like he just was like taking customers money. Like we never did that ever, like anything close to that. I never took, a customer never sent in money and we just took it out of their account. That's like, that's like literally, that's just flat out like robbing a bag. You know, what we did is we were doing, engaged in trading and manipulating stocks. It's very different. And it's very, it's very esoteric and in the gray area. 
And also, I smuggled, I, I took my money to Switzerland, which was really stupid, by the way. That's another thing. That's what I really got. That's what I got in trouble for was the smuggling the money to Switzerland. That was a separate issue, right? But Sam Bankman-Free was like just like taking customers' money and spending it. And like, it's just like, I don't know. It's like nothing like that ever even occurred to me when I was running a Wall Street firm that you were just like, oh, let's take our customers' money. It was more about like, you know, yeah, we're, we're, we're Wall Street and you, have, and you rationalize, oh, it's Wall Street. You know, you know, we, we, you know, we're insider trading and stuff like that. And everyone's doing it. Why is it bad? Well, obviously it's bad, but you justify it like that. But I think Sam Bankman-Fried is, is really one of these sort of, honestly, an arch criminal, by the way. Is he the worst take- of, of all of them, of this new generation of coddled con artists? I, I say he's up there with the absolute worst because he tried to do things that were like so inherently evil, like manipulate the results of elections and by politicians. And that's true. And this, I mean, just like this whole woke agenda bullshit. This, I mean, God almighty, it just like it drives me berserk when I see that because like this is really, he's just like the worst. He's robbing people, boys, and taking their money. People are sending him money. They assume it's one thing to be mismanages his firm, right? He makes bad trading decisions, right? And then, and the, it's never, that's not what gets people in trouble. It is then you then, okay, well, let me just take their money and cover it up. So it's like, it's the covering up of the crime. You people mismanage brokerage firms, they go out of business. Fair enough. Exchanges fall, right? It happens, right? But what doesn't happen is you just like, they have a back door where people send in money and we, we take it out to all the trading firm and then and go buy condos and stuff. That's like Bernie Mayoff. So absolutely. And, and I don't think it's going to end well for Sam Bankman Fried. I don't think I, anyone no. is, is, uh, buying, going to feel his bullshit. <laughs> no. And he looks like he smells, which is, you know, that's, it's a violation of the straight selling rule. You, you have to look like, uh, you're presentable and, yeah, and clean. Yeah, How do you make so, money now? I, I know that, that you had uh, half of your income and uh, a, a great deal of restitution that you owed. Uh, do you so, still make yeah. money? Do you have a comfortable life? Do you have a golden yacht? Um, I don't have a golden yacht. I, I know, no matter how much money I make, I don't think I'll ever have a golden yacht again. Because you know, it's one of those things you learn. I'd rather, um, I'd rather charter one than, than own one. And also the best thing, even better than owning a yacht is having a really close friend who owns a big yacht. So I have a really close friend who owns a big yacht, right? Smart. Yeah. Um, but listen, I do very well. I don't pay half my income. I did for the first three. It was a big mis- misunderstanding with this thing that I paid half my income the first three years out of jail. Yeah. So in, from 2008 to 2005 to 2008, I paid half my income. After that, I had restitution. But you know, the, the customers were paid back long before that from the initial money that we disgorged back in, 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 um, 2000. So when, when the trustee sent out checks to all the people lost money, there was, they had half a million dollars. They couldn't find any more investors. That was in 2000, in 2003, I think. Yep. I, right. Well, well it's, it's sitting in the, well, I guess the government took it in the treasury. And then I kept paying a certain amount of money each year. Right. And, and but that money wasn't going to investors. It was, Going to the government, there were no Ew. more investors. Yeah, so that was very frustrating. But it's pretty much over. Now. I think there's another year left. So I pay some money, but I lived. I'm, I'm very fortunate that I you know, built a very successful career um, in, in business and in training and in touring and in writing books. So I, I live very well. I'm very fortunate that I was able to to come back from failure like that and, and get a second chance. Tell me about um, the portrait you did with David Yarrow um, in that uh, Simi Valley facility where you had an actual wolf and you cre- recreated the boiler room scene. Yeah. What was that like? Yeah. Oh, it was amazing. So we did, we did a few of those together and that was the first one. And it was just, and he's a, he's a brilliant artist. And, uh, 
he has put together this whole recreation, bringing real wolves, and um, which are not like dogs, by the way. They don't listen. You can't say sit to the wolf when he sits or, or walk here this way. The wolf's like, screw you. I'll do what I want to do. I'd rather go hunt my own food than me giving oh, food. That's so weird. That, that sounds like someone I know. Huh. That's, I can't <laughs> exactly, right? So so um, it was amazing. And, and then it did very well. You know, we sold the painting. A lot of money went to charity and also mm-hmm. a lot was made, you know, just in profit. And then we did a second collaboration together on a yacht. We created a yacht scene, which did really well. It was a big hit in our basil and sold all over the world. So, yes, I've been doing these collaborations with David over the years, and they're great. It's fun. All right. Well, the book is The Wolf of Investing. Um, It is out. And I appreciate your time. You know, what I appreciate you about you is you talk about your experiences, the mistakes that you've made, and I do believe in redemption. I do believe that that people are owed a second chance, especially uh, when you know they they if they did the crime, they do the time. So you're like uh, the Martha Stewart of sales. Yeah, right. Bang Listen, I think the Wolf of Investing is is my way of, of honestly of really closing the book on the whole Wall Street thing because it really it, it shows the average person how simple it is to build an amazing portfolio. It's really not difficult at all to build a world-class portfolio, to take a small amount of money and it can and turn into a multi-million dollar nest egg over time, the right way, without yeah. trading back and forth, what you should be buying, what you should be buying and what accounts to put it in. It's a very simple formula for making a lot of money in the stock market over time. And that's the secret is not, is you have to have patience and not be chasing the next shiny object. And I wrote the book in a way that I think is pretty fun. Hopefully it's laugh out loud funny. So it's pretty accessible. So I'm hoping everyone's going to enjoy it and get a massive benefit. Yeah, you can definitely hear your voice when you're reading. Um, I'm going to give it to my daughter. Jordan, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it. Thank you. That it was Jordan Belfort. This has been Kennedy Saves the World. I'm Kennedy. Listen ad-free with a Fox News Podcast Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts. And Amazon Prime members can listen to this show ad-free on the Amazon Music app. Oh, go ahead and leave me a review while you're there. I'd love to hear what you have to say. You've been listening to Kennedy Saves the World on the Fox News Podcast Network. Pull up a chair and join me, Rachel Campos Duffy. And me, former U.S. Congressman Sean Duffy, as we share our perspective on the discussions happening at kitchen tables across America. Download from the kitchen table, the Duffy's at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you download podcasts.